Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. So I don't know how this podcast is going to go. I am obviously a a day late and an episode short this week. I was away for the weekend taking my daughter to college, uh, my first to go to college very emotional weekend for me. So that may be spilling over into this podcast, even though it is an episode later than normal. (laughs) But here goes. So is it me or have my former colleagues over at the four letters lost their collective minds? You probably didn't think I was going to start here. And I am going to get to the Clippers and Suns game five. But I have to clean up some stuff here first, or I at least have to address something that I've been thinking about over the weekend. So, as you know, I previously worked at ESPN for 14 years before I left in order to see my kids grow up, including this daughter that's now going off to college. So I may get busy again or busier than I have been. We'll see. In any event, uh, I worry about my people at the four letters. I mean, first it was Stephen A., saying Donovan Mitchell is the great greatest player in jazz history despite never getting out of the second round or leading the league in any category, in, to my knowledge, or being quite a ways away from Hall of Fame credentials and the franchise already having nine players inducted. Then there's Jay Williams claiming Ime Adoka is the first black head coach in Boston Celtics history, overlooking Bill Russell, Tom Sanders, 
KC Jones, ML Carr, and Doc Rivers, and that the Celtics, in hiring Russell as player coach, were the first team in the entire league to hire a black coach. Next up, Jalen Rose suggesting Kevin Love was added to the men's Olympic team to avoid having an all-black squad, even though the 2008 Redeem team was an all-black squad. Even Rachel Nichols, who really isn't ever in a position to say anything edgy or controversial as a show host and sideline reporter, takes a stand on Paul George receiving criticism for his shooting woes, suggesting that he's had enough great performances that his poor ones should be given a pass, especially since the Clippers are playing without Kawhi Leonard. Now, my disappointment in all the crazy, inane comments being made by my former colleagues is that the four letters still remains the giant in the business, at least in basketball, certainly. I know we all love TNT and the way they do things, but it's a pretty narrow shop. What ESPN does, and TNT for that matter, I mean, Reggie Miller is not without his faux pas or, or Charles. Um, but what, what they do, by a lot of fans' impression, is that uh, what they say and what they do reflects on all of us who cover the NBA. Now, I've made my share of mistakes, to be sure. Not as many as I'm accused of on social media, but I've said a few things I didn't need to say or shouldn't have said or simply got wrong. And this is where I appreciate someone like Charles Barkley, who will just flat out say, I got it wrong. Uh, and I've done the same. I accept that I've made some mistakes, and I've owned up to them. It's painful, but here's the thing. It's important, not just for me as I see it, but for the integrity of the business. And I haven't seen a whole lot of that happening. And as I said, it's disappointing. All right, so since Paul George played such a pivotal role in Game 5, and Game 4, actually, I want to get back to Ra Rachel asking for some perspective, please. I'm just not sure criticizing PG for being wildly inconsistent and continuing to shoot threes when his are not falling is a lack of perspective when we're talking about an all-star slash all-NBA level player. When we're talking about one of arguably, if not one of the best 20, 25 players in the league, then certainly one of the most talented 20, 25 players in the league. And for me, lack of perspective is not seeing from game to game or quarter to quarter that Paul's, Paul George's game has no consistency. He is a completely in-the-flow player, and that doesn't always hold up in the playoffs where games often have no flow, certainly not consistent offensive flow. Game four was an example, start to finish, of a no-flow game. Game five was a perfect example of PG going from near disaster to savior. Now, I realize that most people are painting him a hero after game five because of the, I believe it's a career-high 41 points, because of what he did, particularly in the third quarter, made some free throws down the stretch. And now the suggestion is that 
anyone who might still have something negative to say about Paul George, well, they must be a hater. You can't have anything bad to say about him now. Because what did he do? Well, he won a game five on the road to turn the series to 3-2. Still down 3-2. Haven't won the series. And the reason that they were in a 3-1 hole, well, was because of his performance in Game 4. But now that he's given us Game 5, we can't say anything. Well, I can. I have a few negative things to say, along with a few positives. That, in my view, is true perspective. Now, when PG is going, as he was in the third quarter, when the Clippers staked the lead they'd never relinquish, he's amazing. It looks as if he has every shot in his back. Pull-up J, deep three, silky drives to the hoop, bully ball against a smaller player to score with a jump hook over the front of the rim. And he demonstrated all of that. I mean, he does. When he has it going, it seems like he can score any way he chooses. But when he doesn't have it going, it's as if he closes his eyes, sticks his hand in the bag, and tries whatever he happens to pull out, regardless of if it's the right shot for the moment, matchup, or score. And the more times he digs into that bag and pulls out the wrong thing, the more times he goes back to that bag. That is the problem. He compounds the issue. Example. At one point in the second quarter, George had DeAndre Ayton on him. But he didn't even look to attack to take him off the dribble. He was looking to give it to Reggie Jackson. Now Jackson, recognizing the matchup even if Paul didn't, got the ball from, from Paul and passed it right back to him. Now, by, by now, the clock is in butter time, as some teams call it, meaning it's melting. You're down, it's 8, 7, 6. Paul still has time to attack if he wants to go, but he decides, nah, let me, you know what, let me throw up a 3. Throws up a 3, clanks it. Now, in the third quarter, he gets it. Matched up with Ayton, this time he decides to attack. Blows by him easily for a layup. Maybe somebody told him at halftime. Here's the thing. No one should have to tell him. He's been around too long. He's seen too much. He's far too good, supposedly. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, Perhaps it's important to point out a standard of mine, either when I was coaching or playing or now analyzing. If a player tries to do the right thing, I am okay if it doesn't work. If I understand what he was trying to do and the principles are sound and I know why he was trying to do it, 
I'm good. Not everything works. Great shooters shoot 50%. They miss half their shots. On the other hand, if a player does something that I know is bound to fail before it's actually happened, and I call it out from my seat in front of the TV or in the arena, as I did multiple times earlier today, and I do often, then I don't have a lot of sympathy when it, when it does fail. Now and then, I'll go, no, 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 and the shot falls, or the play works, and I'm like, okay, let's keep it going. But no team or player is successful with a steady diet of that. Uh, look, offensively, Paul George, to me, feels a lot like Russell Westbrook or Lou Williams. When it's going, it's a sight to behold. When it's not, it's a backbreaker. And as good as Paul George was in the third quarter, which he was good, knocking down threes, he was in a flow. He was that bad in the first. Maybe no one noticed because every other clipper was rolling. So they didn't need him to be good. Although you would hope that your best player would be setting the tempo. You come out house on fire, it's because your best player is leading you. But let's be clear, he didn't, because he wasn't their best player. LA's first negative play is George driving baseline and inexplicably exposing the ball for Booker to slap away, Devin Booker, before he can get a shot up. Devin Booker had no ability to stop him if he just protects the ball and gets a shot up on the rim. But for whatever reason, Paul decided to lead with the ball. Only shot that Booker had to stop him was to get a hand on it. Did. I think they credited George with a shot, but ball never got near the rim. Next possession, he comes down. He clanks a three early in the shot clock. Then we go to the other end and he fouls Devin Booker on a three-point shot. So now we're talking six-point swing. The, the Clippers' first official turnover is by George who tries to whip a pass past two defenders facing him to the in, into the corner, pass into the corner. That turnover leads to a Booker three-pointer. His second turnover, a risky pass to Marcus, Bor Marcus Morris cutting down the baseline, is intercepted, sets up a three-by campaign going the other way. Now, at this point, the great start has been muddied. And the Suns are feeling very good about where they are. And now the rest of the Clippers start to join in. Marcus Morris had his way with Cam Johnson and Booker in the post in Game 5, scoring the majority of his 22 points against them. You know who he's not good against? Jay Crowder. And that's been all series long. But when an intended switch didn't work and he wound up with Jay on him, he stubbornly tried to post him up instead of swinging the ball to the other side of the floor where the Clippers had a few more choice mismatches. Morris's step-back baseline J hit the side of the backboard. That was one of those times where as soon as he got in the post, I saw J on him, I went, no, don't do this. Boom. You have the result. DeMarcus Cousins, who gave the Clippers some invaluable minutes in scoring, took an off-balance three in the corner that had no chance, then ran to the other end and fouled Chris Paul on a jumper for a three-point play. Even Reggie Jackson, who I think probably had the best game of the night, wrapped the first half by wasting the Clips' final possession 
and then drawing a 24-second violation when his pull-up desperation jumper caught nothing but air. Then compounds it by ball-watching on the subsequent inbound play by the Suns. Ball-watching allows Booker to go by him. Booker gets gets free for a hook-and-ladder play with Aiton, resulting in a buzzer-beating three. Instead of being up by as many as 12 or 13 at the half, the Clippers went into halftime leading by seven, and the Suns feeling good about that fact. And on such swings do playoff games sometimes turn. Back in the day, when things were a little more buttoned up, that would be a devastating little stretch. This is why I suggested after the game that While the Clippers still being alive is admirable, and I'm glad to see this series continuing, they were far from perfect. They did what it took to win, which against this Suns team is not as much as it might be against more experienced teams this deep in the playoffs. And I don't want to hear any more about fatigue when it comes to the Clippers and the number of the games that they're playing and the number of minutes that Paul George is playing. Because this is a relatively new development where when a team struggles or a player underperforms, it's because he's playing too much. When did this start? Back in 2013, 2014, Paul George averaged more minutes per game and had already played and played a total of more games than he has to this point. And we weren't talking about this. You know why? Because there were 10 guys in 2014 who were playing, averaging more minutes than he did. And if I'm not mistaken, 2013, LeBron James, at the age of 28, was it 28? 28, plays 23 games, averages well over 40 minutes a game, and wins a championship. Nobody was talking about fatigue. This is a new phenomenon that people fall back on. I don't know how we got here. I don't know if it's the load management. I don't know if it's the huge medical staffs. I'm not sure what has led us to this point where the idea of not playing or playing too much is somehow a negative. We can't play too much. You can't play too many minutes. Now, granted, the game is faster and more athletic than it's ever been. It is potentially... I don't know, maybe more taxing. But I'm not going to immediately go to fatigue for decisions, particularly when decisions are being made in the first quarter that are the bad decisions, that are the I-don't-know-what-he's-doing decisions by Paul George. And then we get to the third quarter, and we don't have a problem. Now he's in the flow and everything's good. If a guy is consistently playing well, and then we get to the fourth quarter and he can't defend or all his shots are short, a little bit like Kevin Durant playing every single minute and into overtime against the Bucs in Game 7. That I understand. That I can appreciate. Fatigue in that given situation played a factor. Giving Paul George the out because he's played these minutes when historically he's averaged 40 plus minutes a game in the postseason. I believe this is either the fifth or sixth time out of 
nine or ten trips to the playoffs. So it's not as if he hasn't done this before. And this is the first time I can recall where now suddenly we're talking about fatigue. Speaking of fatigue and age, let's face it. Chris Paul is looking every bit his 36 years. He's relying on every veteran trick in the book to be effective. I almost said relevant, but that may not be too far off. Duping the refs is an outsized part of his game now. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I know this, he is 2 for 16 on threes in this series. 0 for 6 in game 5. He doesn't really want to take them. He is shooting 31% overall from the floor because this is the thing. If he's not shooting threes, then the best he can do is get to that mid-range. And the Clippers have been very good about putting longer, taller defenders on him. Terrence Mann, Nicholas Batum, and not having the other big step up and come off of Aiton. So Chris Ball doesn't have the out of throwing the lob. He's got to live and die by that step back, fall away, mid-range jumper. At 36, coming off of 10 to 14 days of COVID isolation, it's not working for him. If it was not for his free throw shooting, 15 for 16 for the series, he'd be getting a lot more attention for just how much he struggled. Overall, I feel as if the Clippers gave the Suns an opening to win Game 5 and close out the series, and the Suns said, we're not ready yet. The question is, were they not ready, or are they not able? And that, we're about to find out. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I would appreciate it. In the next episode, we will have the Eastern Conference Finals. Game four with the Bucks having an ideal opportunity to put a stranglehold on this series. Latest report is that Trey Young has a bone bruise in his ankle. I've had a bone bruise in my knee. I would rather have a sprained ankle. Man, those are tough, tough to play with, and they take a long time to heal. We'll see if Trey Young can strap it up and still get something done. Otherwise, really, this whole series, in my mind, has been up to the Bucks. If they play up to their capability, they win. If they don't mess around, the Hawks are just good enough to take advantage. We'll see what they do in Game 4. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.